uh, tonight, uh, Brother Tony, he uh, really wanted us to kind of review the, uh, the revival uh, meetings and then also uh, just take some time to uh, share some testimony. So if anybody thinks of something or would like to share something else tonight in the middle of this even, because I'm going to talk about some of the, uh, the preaching that went on uh, this past uh, week during revival. Uh, if you had something in your notes that really struck you, this is one of those uh, services, one of those times that just raise your hand. I'll come down with the microphone and, I'll, and we can uh, hear what you had in your notes, but I'm going to share um, a little bit of, about, uh, I guess, what I had written down uh, in my notes that uh, kind of struck me, and I have to say, this was a really good, I, I feel like a really good uh, revival meeting, uh, <clears throat> you know, really appreciated the messages that all three of the speakers uh, brought, and, uh, and also, um, you know, especially on the, the first Sunday, I really liked uh, Brother Brad Epperson's uh, messages there um, about uh, the foundations of our faith, and then he preached three days really on the kingdom of God. But as I was uh, coming home this afternoon from work, uh, I found out how to get podcasts on my phone finally, and I, so I was going to listen to some of them. I don't have quite the long drive like I, I used to, um, <clears throat> but I, I did get through one. And this uh, scripture came up, and uh, I looked it up in the King James, and this is one of those ones in the King James. I don't, I don't feel that it, it reads as well in, in our modern English, but 2 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter, 17th verse, and then in the King James it says, We are not, or, or for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. So, uh, if you untangle that a little bit in the English Standard Version, which is a little bit more updated, it reads this way. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And, you know, for just a few minutes in that podcast, they talked about... Uh, you know, being a peddler of God's word. And, you know, there's a lot of times when I, you know, I've attended some churches that you could just, you know, you could describe them as being dead, but they, they, they preach from the Bible. <laughs> and, and it's kind of, you wonder, and I, I've, I've sat and thought about this a lot, you know, why is there no power in that preaching? Why? What's wrong with it? And really, it's like this verse says, there, sometimes we can be peddlers of God's word. So essentially, uh, described as using God's word to perhaps, uh, I like what this guy said, as, as a pastor, you're not there to create content but you are to, there to preach the gospel, to preach God's word. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't make for 
I, and I like PowerPoint slides, I do. You've seen me make a couple. But it doesn't make for a good PowerPoint slide. It's something that has to be heard. And if you think about it, you know, PowerPoint and things are, uh, visuals are perhaps uh, things that are a little bit newer to and, and familiar to us. Um, but, you know, you're looking at Christ and you're looking at Paul and you're looking at Peter. And these men, they just got up, they stood up and they preached the word of God. The people listened and they understood um, but now that I'm thinking of it, I'm like, you know, uh, Christ was pointing out <laughs> at a lot of nature while he was preaching as well. So next, next time, I guess, if, uh, if I'm using a PowerPoint, I'll say, well, Christ used visuals as well. <laughs> so I guess it's okay. <laughs> so uh, again, if you got your notes, you can get them out. You can raise, raise your hand. I'll, I'll come. Uh, with the microphone so everybody can hear, but um, Brother Brad Epperson, you know, he started out uh, the revival on uh, Sunday morning with uh, Psalm 11.3, and it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then uh, I liked his little quote here from A.W. Tozer that said, you know, if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the modern church, 95% of what we do would go on just as it had always gone on. And I think that's sobering to really think about. But he said, you know, if, if you withdrew the Holy Spirit from that early first century church, he said 95% of it would have collapsed. You know, we wouldn't have the church that we have today without the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he, he spoke about um, comparing uh, the prophets of Baal there back on that uh, wonderful story when uh, Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal on Mount uh, Carmel. And, you know, the prophets of Baal, he had a powerful message because he said the prophets of Baal, they were out there, they were doing their thing. And it looked real good. He said, I like what he said. He said, they went to Baal Seminary. You know, they, they had their uh, rituals right. They uh, had all their incantations right. They were showing fervor in what they do. Uh, you know, they were cutting themselves and they were stabbing themselves with lancets and stuff. Boy, I'm glad, you know, we don't worship Baals. I don't think I'd want to be doing all kinds of stuff like that. But... They were doing this. They had fervor. And we see that, you know, in, in the so-called Christian world today, you see people with a great amount of fervor, but there's no true Holy Spirit behind it. There's no uh, word of God necessarily behind what they were doing. So he, he said that, you know, there is a warning in that, that we should not be satisfied with religion without Christ. So we shouldn't be satisfied with religion without Christ. And then the evening he came back and he uh, preached on uh, the kingdom of God again. And this time uh, he took his text from Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then went into Luke 
14, and it describes the time when Jesus was invited to the Pharisees' house, of course, and they threw a large party, but in the middle of it, they brought a man that had the dropsy, and I believe this was on the Sabbath. They wanted, they were baiting Christ to see if he would show mercy to somebody on the Sabbath. And I think it's a book of John. I was listening to it one time, just in the audio version, and you notice it, it, it will go through and it'll say, on the, you know, the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and he healed somebody, the Pharisees were mad. And about five, you know, five minutes later here, the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue, he healed somebody, and the Pharisees were angry. Well, here was another, yet another time that they had baited Jesus here to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And then, of course, to kind of uh, break the, the tension here, one of the Pharisees, he says, you know, oh, isn't it wonderful that uh, for those who will be able to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus starts saying, well, let me tell you a little bit about the kingdom of heaven and who's going to be eating bread in the kingdom of heaven. So, of course, the uh, parable goes that, uh, that there's a, a king that has invited uh, all these people out to the feast, but they have come up with various excuses for not going to the feast. The interesting thing is that... Uh, that I didn't hear Brother Epperson bring out, is those excuses that they were giving were excuses that many of them were acceptable in the Old Testament for a person not going to war. So if you had just married, if you had just bought land and it needed to be planted, if you had just you know, bought your, your uh, animals to, to take them out to plant the fields and stuff, you were exempt from going to war in the Old Testament. However, it's interesting that Jesus, you know, he, he gives these in this parable as those same excuses that these people are giving not to attend the feast that the king had, had given. So at this point in time, he's not even talking about war. He's talking about people entering into the kingdom of heaven. This is something that everybody should want. But they were ultimately showing a disrespect and a disregard to the king. So, I, I like what Brother Epperson brought out here. He said uh, in that scripture there in Luke 14, that the master of the house, once the, the servant comes back and says, hey, I've invited all those people, but they've given excuses and they're not going to come. And Brother Epperson, he said, you know, the Bible doesn't say that the master of the house was disappointed. He said, it says the master of the house was angry because he had put everything that he had into this feast. This was something that he had spent lots of money. He had, he had put his, all of his wealth into this feast. This was something that everybody should have been coming to and wanted to come to, but they had rejected him. So he said that it makes God angry that people have been invited, but they fail to come into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God was bought at a high price with Christ's own blood, with His own Son's blood. And it doesn't make God disappointed that people won't enter in, even though they've been given a free uh, invitation, 
but it makes God angry that they won't enter in. And uh, he said the hardest thing that Jesus said, he looked one day at a Pharisee and he said, you'll die in your sins. He said they are too distracted by their religion to enter in. And then he talked about some things that might be distracting us. It's easy to get distracted. So we have to think about that. And and it was a, a good exhortation there. So he says, once we're saved, we need to confirm, I'm sorry, to conform to the kingdom life. We need to be humble. We need to be compassionate, zealous. And then he followed that up the next evening with, he said, well, certainly the kingdom of heaven is its, its humility, its holiness, its mercy, its unity, its worship. But he said, one of the biggest things that the kingdom of heaven is marked by in the Bible is power. There's power in the kingdom of heaven. And, and he gave the uh, scripture there from Isaiah 61. Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, he talked about the, uh, the Messiah that would come. He would give preach the good news to the poor. He would proclaim liberty to the captives. He would comfort those who, uh, who would mourn. And then he said they would be called trees of righteousness and given the garment of praise. And he reminded us that who Isaiah is talking about there are those who would enter into the kingdom, those who were saved, is who he was talking about. And then he brought us into the New Testament Uh, In Luke 7, uh, talking about the disciples of John came to Jesus and they wanted to know, John was having doubts. You know, he had preached, he had had a wonderful ministry, all of uh, Judea was coming to him, he was baptizing people. But all of a sudden, John's ministry, once Christ arrived on the scene, and remember John, in a way, he knew this, I think. He predicted it. He said, you know, he shall become great, I shall, you know, and he would become less and less. So John's thrown into prison and eventually beheaded, but before he's beheaded, he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are we looking for you? Are you the Messiah to come? Or is there someone else? And I I like what he said. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus even answered him initially. Jesus, he went and he went on a spree of healing. (laughs) And I imagine he probably went on a spree of preaching at that that time too. But then after he he had finished that spree of healing... Then he turned to John's disciples and he said, you go tell John what you just saw. Because he knew that John, would, his mind would go back to Isaiah 61, that the poor are having the gospel preached to them. You know, the blind, the lame, they're walking, they're, they're seeing, they're, you know, people are being healed, the dead are being raised. And I imagine that Jesus was just doing these things just like that. And, and I, I can only imagine what John's disciples, I mean, I imagine they ran back to John to tell him the things that, that they had seen. So it wasn't just what, what Jesus said, but it's what, the, what they saw. 
And it's interesting, these are the same miracles that the Pharisees saw time and time again. They said, show us another sign. Show us another sign. Show us another sign. Man, how many signs you need? You know, and, and John didn't even ask for a sign. He said, just tell me. Give me some reassurance. Just tell me. That kind of shows you the difference in the faith of the John the Baptist and these Pharisees. Because all John wanted was to hear that he was the Christ. And instead, Christ showed him the signs. And that was certainly enough, I'm sure, for John the Baptist to believe. He believed the signs that had been shown. So uh, here I wrote down that we will never be successful without an endowment of power. So we, we necessitate the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, if you're, you're saved, you're one of those trees that have drawn up the water of life. But Jesus also, he talked about taking up your cross. You know, that's not the end of it. Once you're saved, you draw up the water of life and you're just this wonderful tree there. But Christ also said we had to have a crucified life going forward. You know, the power wasn't just given to save us. The power was also given to keep us holy and keep us crucified and moving forward. And I, I like the question that Brother Epperson gave us here. He says, when he was talking about the cross, he said, you know, has the cross become a stranger to you? And he said, I'm not talking about the cross of Christ, because it's real easy just to talk about the cross of Christ, but has your own cross become a stranger to you? You know, and he said, should we not be praying? Oh, God, help me to live my life crucified. And then, I don't think they... Uh, sat down and had a conference before uh, they came here. But all these messages, just, they just went together. Brother, so uh, Brother Epperson really focused on the kingdom of God. And then Brother Leisure comes in and he focused on the kind of church that we want to leave the next generation. So he focused on the church that's here and building that church. And he, of course, brought up some nasty statistics, you know, that today only 10 to 15 percent of people are in church on an average Sunday, and whereas 30 years ago, even with a smaller population, you could say, but I doubt that that affected it too much, but it's 30 to 40 percent, 30, 40 percent, just, you know, just 30 years ago, so that's within my lifetime. You know, the church, I like what he said here, he said the church is not an apple, like the company apple, you know, that we can't come up with a new version of the church every year. And, you know, but that's what some people are trying to do. You know, they've become the church of consumerism. That kind of gets back to that being a peddler of God's word. You know, what can I do to make this more interesting, visually appealing, you know, maybe I can uh, get Brenda a uh, electric guitar up here instead of her piano. That would probably bring people in. You know, well, <laughs> she says it wouldn't. <laughs> but, you know, that's what you see. It's, we're living in an age of consumerism, and people think that that should extend to the church as well. But that's not 
That's not what we uh, should be pushing for. You know, and he said, we're not in an age of spiritual recession, but an age of spiritual depression. But we should be thinking, and he, he took uh, some texts from Luke 4, 16 and Acts uh, 20, 28, that Jesus had the church on his mind when he is on the cross. He said, we ought to, we ought to uh, be building the church that we want to leave the next generation. He said, for Jesus' sake, number two, for the nation's sake, number three, for our children's sake, and then he said, for each other's sake. There's a lot of things that kind of fell away, I know, during uh, COVID. And, uh, you know, the, the government and, uh, <clears throat> you know, various, even people within the so-called Christian community were saying, well, if you want to do something really nice, you would stay home from church. You're just, you're just spreading COVID and you're, you're going to kill everybody. Uh, you just need to stay away. But I tell you what, I saw a lot of people wilt <laughs> under that isolation. And in many ways, you know, I, I wonder how many people died, you know, lonely, afraid, you know, without the hope, because <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't get that interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what, I, I'm trying to teach this, number one, to myself, number two, to my kids. But whenever the Bible tells you to do something, it, it may not make a lot of sense initially. And sometimes it may never make a lot of sense. Why? And, you know, we get so caught up with that question, why, why, why? And I, and I see, as I'm studying the Bible more, the question why uh, oftentimes is not a good question to be asking God. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, it's nothing that we should not study the Word of God, and we should ask, you know, those questions, but... You know, people will ask, you know, why, why do I need to go to church to be a Christian? Well, I mean, you can get in the Word, and it, it, it will answer some of those questions, why? But I don't think for somebody who wants to use that as an excuse, that's, I know from experience, that's not going to be good enough. Until you are willing to just go out there on faith and trust the Lord and trust the word that if he says it's good for you to gather yourselves together, especially as you see the day approaching, that if you do that, there's a blessing in it. If you don't do that, you're going to falter. You know, and, and sometimes just the, the people just, they ask that question, why? And you can give them a hundred answers and it's not good enough. I remember uh, one of a pastor that I was listening to, you know, probably about two years ago, driving back to Marysville. I remember he said that you know somebody came to him, was asking him all these questions of why you know he should be saved and and why the lifestyle he was living wasn't right, and you know he answered about fifteen of these questions, and finally he said, you know, I don't think you're being genuine here. 
you said that if, if you had got the answers to these questions, that your intention was to give your life to Jesus Christ and to be saved. And he said, I've answered 15 of these questions. And he said, I don't think you're being very genuine here. And he said, I don't think it's a problem with the questions. He said, the problem lies somewhere, and this is what I've always heard, it's not in the intellect, but it's in our morality. It's, you know, people don't come, they, they don't stay away from Christ because of an intellectual problem. They don't understand the message. They stay away from Christ because there's something morally wrong that the Word of God is going to touch and is going to have to excise out of their life that they feel would be too painful. They couldn't live without it. They couldn't get by without it. And I mean, come on, how many of us have been in that situation, you know? Me, I, I've been in that situation, and there's things that in my life, you know, oh, you know, I'll never be able to get away. But when God, when, that, when the Holy Spirit comes in and endues you with the power that Brother Epperson was talking about, he will make a way for you, but you've got to surrender the why. <laughs> I think somewhere there, there's something uh, one of them said about that. You know, oh, yeah, let me find it. Oh, boy. I know, you know, it's funny I said that because one of them had a quote here. I think it was, eh, I don't know, his, maybe on the other page. His brother Lazier, I think. Oh, the next day, that was about all I had written down. It was a quote from Martin Luther. And he says, if you want to get anywhere with God, you must crucify the word why. I kind of forgot I wrote that down until, until I was talking about that. If you want to get anywhere with God, you're going to have to crucify the word why. And Martin Luther certainly is somebody who had intense experience with that. If you look at his life, it was a struggle, really, from the very beginning all the way through the end of his life. He was a hated man. He was a marked man. The Catholic Church, if they ever got a hold of him, would have killed him. He would have been martyred. But they never did, through the grace of God, get a hold of him. But certainly, he could have asked why. You know, Lord, I'm standing on your word. I'm preaching the truth as it's, as it's translated from you know, the original text here, I know that uh, the Roman Catholic Church has it wrong. Why am I being persecuted? And you know, that's the power they had. Crucify the question why. All right, and then uh, Brother Worley preached a couple good messages here. I, it's funny, I wasn't here on Saturday night. That was the only night that I missed, and he preached essentially a very similar message to what I preached two Wednesdays before that. So that one there must, must have uh, been a, a necessary message. He preached on the word remember. I preached it mostly from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and utilized Luke 16. He preached it mostly from Luke 16 and utilized Ecclesiastes. So... And if you remember, I was, I was preaching on that subject primarily because Brother Tony had preached uh, extensively on uh, the, 
the 12th chapter there of Ecclesiastes. So uh, that was kind of interesting. So Saturday, I'm just going to lay aside here because it was the same message. But of course, uh, Brother Worley brought some challenging uh, messages here. He said, I like, he opened up here saying that Jesus is coming soon, but the devil's already here. Jesus is coming soon, but the devil's already here. You know, he said, some people are so excited for Jesus to come that they've quit fighting the devil. <laughs> they, they've they've <clears throat> moved on. They, they only, you know, they, uh, they only focus on, on a small part of living for Christ, and unfortunately, it oftentimes doesn't include holiness. So... Uh, we need to remember the world that we live in and the temptations that surround us, and, and not only us, but other people. You know, I don't, we, I don't think we can be helpful to people if, if we don't sometimes remember back to where we were at and the temptations that we were in and the struggles that we faced. You know, when you're raising kids, I'm learning you have to, you have to really rein your mind in sometimes and realize that a young person's heart and mind and things are not the same as a 40-year-old. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But also, we need to be in a place where we can reach out to people uh, that are lost, So he said that God will give us the desires of our hearts. If you want the devil out of your home, you can. (laughs) So I like that. And he said, let's see. Yeah, he said, if there is a measure of revival in this country, we we would be living a lot further from the devil than we are. And that the and he kind of preached along the same lines there as brother brother Lazier. You know, if uh, the world is is going to be the world, but now it's time for the church to be the church. You know, we and we do we worry a lot about what's out there in the world, and I mostly worry about it because I've got kids, you know, and we have loved ones that are out there that are uh, in in the world. Uh, but and we have to work in the world and live in the world. So there's there's I guess some reason to worry about it. But we have to remember that if you're saved, you're also you're in Christ's kingdom. You know, a lot of bad things are likely to happen to this world. But if you're in Christ's kingdom, we can all die instantly right now, and we're in the kingdom of Christ if you're saved. So we have to remember that there is another kingdom out there. The church is, needs to be the church. And we need to you know, kind of remember where we're at. Although we're surrounded by the world, we are in Christ's kingdom if we are saved. And he said, The church of God may have many detractors, but she has no evils. And then he ended one Sunday here with what the harvest of sin really is. And he spoke from Job, the fourth chapter, and he said that there, he had four points. He said, the reaping of sin is according to the type of seed sown. He said, the harvest of sin does not bring profit. He said, the harvest of sin is always disappointing. He said, because 
You know, it will not survive the fire. The harvest of sin is always disappointing. And this last point, and the end of the revival, was that the harvest is surely to come. So the four rules of the harvest there. And, you know, and some, sometimes it's, it's upsetting, I know, uh, when, I, when you see people or talk to people, they... They don't understand what they're stumbling over. They don't understand why they're in the situation they're in. But just like he said, that harvest of sin is always disappointing. And a lot of times that's you know, where a lot of that disappointment comes from. So I'll open it up. If anybody, nobody stood up, raised their hand, jumped up to say anything. Did anything, anybody have anything that they would like to share about the revival? And I will bring this microphone down. I'm going to turn mine off because it will probably squeal. Um, I was actually preparing, and I will begin, I guess, next time I'm up here. I'm preparing uh, on the book of Matthew. That's going to be, I think, the, I, I'm trying to go through a book. Now, it took me... I think it was a, almost two years to get through 12 sermons, 12 chapters. <laughs> that was about 13, I did an introduction on Ecclesiastes. So I imagine the book of Matthew might take me a while to get through, but that's okay because I, I had uh, preached a lot in between on the book of Matthew. If something comes up uh, that I feel you know, impressed to, to preach on, I preach on that, but... Um, I do plan on going through the book of Matthew. I've been working on the introduction to that. And I, I tell you, there's a lot of things when you sit and you uh, really study into uh, a story, it, things you didn't think of. And Matthew's certainly no exception. One of the things that um, I'll probably talk about is, you know, when you look at where all the disciples came from, they all pretty much came from the same area. And then when you go and you watch a little uh, video about uh, these areas and the archaeology of these areas, you realize that most of these towns that Jesus preached in and that the disciples came from were probably less than 1,500 people. So everybody knew everybody in those towns. And it's interesting that Matthew was the hated tax collector. <laughs> and not only is, was he one of these hated tax collectors in a Jewish community, but he was a tax collector in Capernaum, right where in Jesus' hometown, right where all the disciples would have been taxing Certainly, he, he came into contact probably with Christ and, and the disciples probably many, many times. And one of the things that is interesting about that book is you, you start to see the people that Christ brought together, and it's like, and, and you start to read about the backgrounds. It's hard, you know, there's not a lot about Matthew. So we have to really look at tax collectors. There's a lot said about tax collectors in the Bible. There's um, a lot from history that we know about tax collectors. So we can assume that 
since the, the Pharisees, you know, said, why, Jesus, are you eating in the house of this filthy tax collector and all of his filthy tax collector friends, that he probably exemplified the tax collectors of the day. And then it's funny, because then you read about, you know, Simon the Zealot. And this is, it's funny because, you know, the Zealots were a group of people that, you know, they hated Rome so much they would walk around with daggers, literally daggers in their coats. So if they got the opportunity to assassinate somebody who was uh, colluding with the Romans, that, that they would do that. And, you know, Jesus brings all these fishermen, he brings a zealot, <laughs> and he brings Matthew the tax collector and brings all these people together as his disciples. If you don't think the Holy Spirit was at work in these people's lives, it's, you know, uh, you just you see it when you think about some of the things that, that uh, you see in the book of Matthew. So um, I am working on that, and probably next time I'm up here, we'll start on the introduction to it. Uh, probably take a while to get through, but that's okay. I'll, I'll probably find other things throughout, so it won't, shouldn't hopefully get boring or anything like that. Um, but I do appreciate your time and testimonies uh, tonight. I really am thankful for the revival meetings that we had and for uh, the three speakers that came up here. Uh, it was quite a, quite a blessing, and I just thank the Lord for that. I'm thankful for men who will come here and preach and not just be peddlers of the Word, but they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as right there before God as, as they are. So let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. It sounds like it's starting to pour down rain now. So. Heavenly Father, we just are grateful once again to have uh, been able to be here together to reminisce a little bit about the uh, revival meetings, and we're thankful for uh, these men who have come and preached the word uh, this past week. Uh, Lord, we just pray that it would continue to uh, strike a chord in our hearts, that we would uh, live, Lord, uh, for your kingdom, that we would uh, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be evident in our lives, Lord, that we would live uh, holy lives, Lord, with the power of the Spirit uh, in us, Lord, that we may be an encouragement to others, that we may build uh, the church, Father, and that we should uh, bring those who are outside, Lord, into uh, your kingdom and be an encouragement to them and each other, Father. Uh, Lord, we're just uh, thankful for all that you have done for us. Lord, we pray that you'd watch over and protect us as we uh, head home and just pray that you bring us back at the appointed time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.